Well, good morning and welcome to the hills. I know I'm talking to some people right now around the world. It's not morning where you are, but thank you for joining us online. And a shout out to all of you at South Lake and West Fort Worth campus as well. Uh, I want to thank all of you that participated in Renew Serve last week. Over 800 people served in Jesus' name. What a beautiful thing. Now, last weekend I was serving in a different way. My wife and I were visiting our church plant in Los Angeles, Collective Church. We had supper last Saturday night with the uh, lead minister, Lorenzo Smith, and his beautiful wife, Isabel. They're actually from Canada. They didn't come to Christ until they were young adults. And now they're bringing Christ to people in the middle of the film industry in Los Angeles. Now, I have visited many churches in my life. Most of the time, no one knows I'm a visitor. I've had a few experiences where I have visited a church... And everyone knew I was a visitor. If I was in Africa or in Latin America or even in African-American and Hispanic churches in the States. But I have never gone to a church where people knew immediately I was a visitor because of my age. (laughs) I walked into this church and you can see all the young people hanging out and milling around. And the average age of this church is under 30. And it is amazing in just a couple of years what they have done right there in the heart of Los Angeles. Now, there are not a lot of kids in that church yet, but they have to check them in when they are. They rent a recording studio for just five hours. They've got to go in, do church, set up, and leave. And it's expensive. Uh, you have to take the space that you have, and you set up portable walls for kids. And, and they can't fathom the kind of space that churches in Texas have. All of our church plants deal with this problem. Where can we go and meet for just a little bit and then get out And how can we use our homes to spread the kingdom? But it was powerful to worship with them last weekend. To look out over this room of a couple of hundred mainly young people honoring and pursuing Christ. And people, that church didn't exist two years ago. It exists now. And it exists because you have been generous. Just like you have been in starting over 30 churches the last 12 years. And supporting 27 missionaries around the world. I want to thank you for that. And I I hope that when you hear stories like this, you have learned to trust the, the wisdom and the decisions of the leaders to be good stewards of your offerings. I think we have been. But next week, you get to be the steward. Because next week at our Renew Offering, you've got that envelope that I hope you'll take and pray. I hope you'll check our website and look. We get to partner with ministries in our city and around the world that are doing good in the name of Jesus, and you get to decide where you want the money to go. Good luck with that. Every year I give money to everybody because I can't make up my mind. But you get to pick where you want your money to go. So pray about that and come prepared. It's going to be a wonderful weekend. I hope today's a wonderful day for all the moms. Well done. I love that we take it time every year and we just say to our moms, we love you and your task is amazing. I hope you feel honored today. There are few assignments more exhilarating than being a mom. And there are few tasks more exhausting. So in the last several weeks, Jamie and I have had the privilege on several occasions to have meals with young families, with several kids. And these kids were awesome and well-behaved. And after every meal, Jamie and I looked at each other and said, We forgot how exhausting it is to have little kids. We really have. 
I can remember when I was a young dad, there were some days on Monday I would come to the office and I couldn't wait to get to work so I could rest. Because being home all weekend was exhausting. I would think about my wife and some of the hats that she had to wear every day raising our kids. Cook, tailor, hairdresser, maid, launderer, personal hygienist, shopper, chauffeur, secretary, referee, teacher, spiritual guide and minister, and most of all, toxic waste disposer. Every day, she would put on these hats. I reminded there was a bulletin in West Texas, a church told a story that a, a fellow in the church was ill and an older woman was concerned and called the young mom the next day and said, uh, how's it going? And the answer was terrible. Uh, the kids are out of control. The house is a wreck and I have a splitting headache. And the older sweet lady said, you know what? You just go lay down. I'm coming right over. I'm going to watch the kids. I'm going to pick up the house and I'm going to cook supper. And how is Sam doing? And the voice said, Sam, no one here named Sam. She said, oh, I'm so sorry. I've called the wrong number. There was a pause, and finally the voice said, are you still coming over? (laughs) Now, I don't know if that's a true story or not, but what I know is true is that every mom understands what that feels like. Now, here's the reality. Family is awesome, and family's hard. Hold up your hand, every campus now, if family, especially mom and dad, were huge Factors in your life and your spiritual faith and growth. Hold up your hand. Okay, almost everybody in RH is holding up their hand about the same things true at South Lake and West Fort Worth. Now, I'm not going to ask you to hold up your hand, but how many of you would if I said, and family is the place of some of the most epic fails I ever witnessed? And for a lot of us, it was true. That both happened in the same family. That family shaped us spiritually. And family was the memory of some of the biggest fails we ever witnessed. That family is where we learned of our need for epic grace. Because for a lot of us, family was or even is an epic mess. And we have stories like this in the Bible. I want to show you one in Genesis 16. Now, last time Taylor showed you God's plan to bless the nations and to bring a Messiah into the world. And he chose an idol-worshipping Mesopotamian who was childless to be the person to start the plan. His name was Abram. And he asked him to give up everything and leave everything under the promise that someday he would be a father. So Abram does. But now he's been 10 years in a strange land and no baby. So look what happens. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had not been able to bear children for him. But she had an Egyptian servant named Hagar. So Sarai said to Abram, the Lord has prevented me from having children. Go and sleep with my servant. Perhaps I can have children through her. And Abram agreed with Sarai's proposal. So Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar, the Egyptian servant, and gave her to Abram as a wife. Now, this happened 10 years after Abram had settled in the land of Canaan. So Abram had sexual relations with Hagar, and she became pregnant. But when Hagar knew she was pregnant, she began to treat her mistress Sarai with contempt. And then Sarai said to Abram, this is all your fault. I put my servant into your arms, but now that she's pregnant, she treats me with contempt. 
the Lord will show who's wrong. You or me. And Abram replied, look, she's your servant. So deal with her as you see fit. And then Sarai treated Hagar so harshly that she finally ran away. What a mess. And everybody in this story bears some responsibility. If I'm giving out grades, I have to give Sarai an F. She failed to believe that God's audacious promise to Abram could include her. And so she decides that God needs some help. And let me tell you, if you're worshiping a God that needs some help, you need to get a new God. And so she depends on the flesh to accomplish a promise. And the flesh can get results. The flesh can never produce a miracle. And God wants a miracle because this salvation plan is going to depend on grace and it's going to be all God and not flesh. And so, isn't it interesting that Sarai works a plan in the flesh, the plan works and only makes her more miserable. And if she gets an F, I give Abram an F minus. Because he totally failed to provide spiritual leadership in his home. Instead, like many men, he just chose the path of passivity. This whatever can keep people from fussing. He doesn't seek God. He doesn't pray. He doesn't ask God, is this how you want to keep your promise? Instead, he agrees to a course of action that is going to callously use another human being for his agenda. He is never going to truly love Hagar. Even after she's pregnant, he calls her your servant, not my wife. Now, I know sometimes when we read the Bible, we have to be careful. What sometimes the Bible describes is not necessarily what it prescribes. And so there's all kinds of marriages in the Bible. And none of them that are polygamous work out well. Not one time does the Bible show favor. And that God blessed it. And then there's Hagar. Now I have some sympathy for Hagar. Because she had no choice. She had to do what her master and mistress told her to do. But still she bears some responsibility. Because she did not handle a delicate situation. Even though she didn't choose it. She didn't handle it with grace and kindness and wisdom. Because you see, when she got pregnant, it said to everybody, it's Sarah's problem. Reason they haven't had kids all these years, not Abram's problem, isn't it? It's Sarah's problem. And so she sees an opportunity to try to upgrade her status by putting down her mistress. And then they just gets worse. The fail just gets worse. I mean, Sarah responds by running to Abram to get permission to mistreat a pregnant woman. And Abram runs away from his duty as a spiritual leader to call both of the women to act responsibly and instead permits the mistreatment of a woman carrying his child. And Hagar, she just responds by running away. She's not running to something. She's just running 
away from something. And people, this is the family the Messiah is supposed to come from. And it is a mess. And honestly, most families are. At least for a season. And that's one reason why days like today can be bittersweet. Because life is hard. Some of us today, we can't call our mom and say, Happy Mother's Day. Some moms have buried the child. They won't get that call. And some are, are still wanting to be moms, and it hadn't happened yet. But then I think sometimes days like today are bittersweet for a different reason. That's because we got regrets about choices we made. We had in our minds the ideal Two people that are going to love God and love each other passionately and raise these awesome kids that were going to be full of faith. And that's just not how it turned out. We never imagined we'd be in a marriage grown stale. We never imagined that one of our mates would fall out of love with God. We never imagined we'd be a single parent. We never imagined the bad choices with our finances or the struggles with different kinds of addictions. We never imagined that our children would rebel and walk away from the Lord. And sometimes the fail is because we made some bad choices. And sometimes the fail is because other people made bad choices and it affected us. And either way, I don't think I'm talking to many people today that can't look back on your family and say, I wish I had a mulligan at least then. I wish I could have done that one over. But our fails have never surprised God. They've never confused God. And they've never caused God to rethink His purposes for us. Because our messes don't keep God from accomplishing all that He has promised to do. See, the good news is God uses people after epic fails. His grace is more epic than our mistakes and our struggles and our problems. And that's why the worst chapter in our family story doesn't have to be the last chapter. And so let's keep reading. Verse 7. The angel of the Lord found Hagar beside a spring of water in the wilderness along the road to shore. And the angel said to her, Hagar, Sarai's servant, where have you come from and where are you going? I'm running away from my mistress Sarai, she replied. And the angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress. And submit to her authority. And then he added, I will give you more descendants than you can count. Now you can run away from people. You can try to run away from the hardest season of your family, but you can't run away from God. And isn't it interesting? Did you notice in this story, the only person that calls Hagar by her name is God. Sarai and Abram never call her by her name. God does. Because he's the guy that notices all who feel like no one notices them. He's the guy who owns the disowned. He wants the unwanted. He names and he loves the unnamed and the unloved. And he says to her, Hagar, I, I know, I see, and I promise you've got a future. You've got a future more epic than you could possibly imagine. 
Now trust and obey me. And Hagar responds by doing something that no other person in all the Bible does. She gives God a name. Verse 13, thereafter Hagar used another name to refer to the Lord who had spoken to her. She said, you are the God who sees me. El Roy, the God who sees. That's what she called him from then on. The God that sees the person nobody else sees. She wandered off, but she couldn't wander outside the escape or the notice of grace. You know, you've heard the word omniscient, that God sees everything. And when I was a boy, that scared me. Because it was often taught like God is spying on you, trying to catch you doing something wrong. So you better be careful. But when the scripture talks about God seeing, it's always meant to encourage and comfort us. It's like... A parent. You remember when you brought that baby home for the first time and you put the baby in the crib and and you would just stand over the crib and just watch them sleep. You couldn't not just look at them. Remember your son played on the offensive line or your daughter was a defensive back on the soccer field and everybody else is watching the ball but not you. You're watching your kid. That's what God does. It says that you can't go anywhere and you can't go through anything that has escaped the notice of His grace. In fact, it's often when we are right in the middle of the mess that we discover how epic His grace is. I know a lot of moms would say, I could amen that. And I want you to hear one story. So watch the screen, please. When I first came back to the hills um, after my divorce, I can remember walking around the atrium feeling lost. I was broken and I felt like I felt like I was a mess. And then but I had this one-year-old and three-year-old and six-year-old that I was trying to um, we were trying to find our new normal and that was um, hard hard to find that new normal. There's lots of times along the way that you that I felt like, Am I doing this all? Hello, Lord. It's me. It's Tammy. Tammy Collins Jaffet right here. And and you feel like, does he hear me? Does he see me? I thought, how can I do this? And I still, I just needed, I needed guidance. God works at the perfect timing and, um, and puts people in your path at the perfect time. And then something happened. I found a ladies class and I was their baby chick. And they took me in when I was broken. I um, I was very broken at that time. And they wrapped their little arms around me and carried me and helped me get to a place where I wasn't broken anymore. When I look back, I think every day I, I could see that I was not on my own, that the Lord was there. It is exhausting to never have a break. It is exhausting to every decision is on me. And I fail. And I'm just, I've said many a prayer, Lord, thank you for raising my children in spite of me, in spite of my mess ups, in spite of the times that I lost my cool when I should have handled the situation a lot better. But you know what? The Lord helps you make it through another day. And you wake up in the morning and you open your eyes and you thank you, Lord. 
for another day. Another day to be a mom, another day to um, be with my kids, another day to be full of blessings. Keep your eyes and heart and ears open to see the Lord working all around you because he's constantly working on us and around us and through us um, every day. Now, um, if your family is perfect and every chapter is easy, you can just dismiss the rest of the sermon. But for the rest of us, three quick thoughts, and here's the first. I want you to remember that grace sees your family. Your family, not the perfect family, not the ideal family, but the family that you have. And when the mess is present, it can seem like God is absent. But don't judge his nearness by the messiness of your circumstances. God is above it all, but he is not aloof from it all. It was desperate times for Jochebed. Pharaoh was wanting to kill all these Hebrew boys. She takes her youngest son and she puts him in a basket in a river. God saw that baby. God sees it all. The scripture says in Psalm 22, he doesn't ignore those in trouble. He doesn't hide from them, but he listens when they call out to him. One of the sweet moments last week at the collective church, uh, Pastor Lorenzo and Isabel have a special needs daughter. And part of her condition makes her more susceptible to leukemia. And uh, her white blood counts lately have been trending in a bad direction. She's got a very important test coming up this week. And so they brought little Amelia up. And it was beautiful to see all these 20-somethings, most of them not married, no children, but holding out their hands. And we just prayed over little Amelia. And let me tell you something, God sees her. Now she's got special needs. Some would argue, why did you even have her? But she's precious to God. Every child is precious to God. And he notices and he cares. And so I just want you to remember that there are going to be times when it's just hard to see God. But don't ever think that means God doesn't see you. God sees your family. Grace never loses track of us. And grace can get us back on track because grace sees your future. See, even though Hagar's son would not be the child of promise, he would still be a boy that God would bless on purpose. See, God doesn't just bless ideal families. Because frankly, there wouldn't be any families to bless if that's the only families God were going to bless. There are no ideal families. Now, the challenge for us is not just to believe God is watching us, but God is watching over us. What God is saying to Hagar is, Hagar, I see tomorrow. You don't see it yet. I see it. And I can bless you. And so, because I can bless you tomorrow, I want you to trust me today. And that's so hard, isn't it? There's another story in the Bible. Uh, A man named Elijah, a prophet of God, there was a famine. He left the promised land. He goes up into this uh, idol-worshipping place called Sidon. And he walks into this little town, and this widow comes out. And and the prophet of God says, would you fix me some bread? And she looks at him and says, I got a little bit of oil, 
and I got a little bit of flour, and I'm going to make a piece of bread for my son, and then we're going to eat it and die. Welcome to town. And the man of God said something so profound to this, this idol-worshiping woman. He says, I serve the God of Israel. And here's what he says. You make me some bread. You trust the God of Israel. And if you do, that olive oil and that flour will never run out until the rains come back. And she had to make a decision. Will I obey today when I cannot see how it's going to work tomorrow? And you can read the story in 1 Kings 17. And the family was saved. There's a good Mother's Day verse we don't typically think of on Mother's Day. And it's Matthew 6.33. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously. And he'll give you everything you need. You allow your knowledge that God has the knowledge of tomorrow to give you resolve and trust today. And you trust God for the chapter that you're in, not the chapter you wish you were in. So some years ago, a woman named Georgine Johnson, I read about her in Associated Press, ran a marathon. You say, what's the big deal? Well, she didn't know she was entering a marathon. She had trained for a 10K, a six-mile race. The problem is she showed up at the wrong starting time. So she took up all these people, and at the four-mile point, when nobody was turning around, she realized, I'm not in the 10K. She went ahead and she ran the marathon in four hours. She beat the time I had when I ran a marathon. kind of chaps me. And they asked her later, and I love her answer. She said, this isn't the race I trained for. This isn't the race I entered. But this is the race I'm in. And some of us are in a race we didn't plan on. But it's the race we got. Your race may not be one you ever imagined. But grace can deliver a future you never imagined. So you keep running. You keep trusting the God that can bless tomorrow. Because this God sees your faith. Now I want you to know Hagar had to play display a lot of faith you want me to what you want me to go back you want me to go back to the woman that mistreats me and to the man that never even calls me by my name she had to believe that God's message was bigger than the mess and so do you We must never underestimate the capacity of faith to overcome our fails. There's a verse I really love in 2 Timothy. Paul's writing to a young man named Timothy. And Timothy had a believing mom and an unbelieving dad. It wasn't ideal. But here's what what Paul says. I remember your genuine faith. For you share the faith that first filled your grandmother Lois... And your mother, Eunice. And I know that same faith continues strong in you. Now, that wasn't the ideal situation for a boy. To never have a dad to read the scripture to you. To never have a dad pray over you. But Eunice made a decision. I am going to make a spiritual deposit in my son. And in the midst of her mess, she prepared him for the Messiah. Two chapters later. You've been taught 
the Holy Scriptures from childhood. And they have given you the wisdom to receive the salvation that comes by trusting in Christ Jesus. And I know there were lots of nights when you just didn't know if it was making any difference. Isn't that the truth about how it works? That so much of what we're trying to do in our families, it doesn't feel like anybody's noticing. Do your little kids ever rush up to you and say, thank you so much for washing my clothes every day. Thank you so much for doing those dishes. I don't want to take it for granted. I notice, Mom, how much you do when you clean that toilet. I just want you to know that. I see it. Thank you. No. No. It's hard. Just to be steadily faithful. And to believe that God sees. And God cares. And ultimately, God will honor. This is precious to me, and I've, I've told you this many times, but this matters to me because I'm the product of this kind of faith. The only Christian in my family on either side for years was my grandmother, Ashley. I had the chance a couple of months ago to go through Waco and take Jamie to her house. They lived in this house for many years. And let me tell you something, it's always looked that bad. It's about 800 square feet. And that's where they kept care of both of their mothers. And she raised her two boys. And my grandfather wasn't a believer. He never helped. Never prayed with my dad. Never read the Bible to my dad. They were poor. It was hard. And grandma just plugged away. She read her Bible every day. She got those boys up without my grandpa's help every week. And she took them to church. Some years later, after my mom and dad tried to put their marriage back together, all that seed she planted started to take root. My dad decided he would own the faith of his mom. Now, I'm here today because of her. When she died of cancer back in the 1980s, we took her to a little place outside the Waco, and we put her in the ground, put a little stone there. I'll bet you there have been seven people go see it since. She lived a faithful life for 70-something years. And nobody said thank you. Nobody gave her a plaque. Nobody applauded. Nobody noticed. Except God. I like to think her spiritual portfolio in heaven is huge. And it's still growing. Every time one of her descendants who have come to faith does something for the kingdom, Grandma's bank account gets bigger. Here's the thing. God uses the unseen to make an epic difference. So if your family today is in a really good place, then thank God. And if your family is in a hard place right now, take courage. God sees you, and God cares, and God honors. And you know, the truth is, family is a wonderful place 
to discover grace. And when grace writes the story, the ending is always epic. I want to pray over you. So bow with me, please. So God, I just want to pray over all the families in our church right now. I pray for all our moms especially. We honor them today, God, and ask you to give them hope and courage. Their work is hard and too often little noticed. But blessings on them today, God. Blessings on them. Blessings on all today who've lost a mom. Blessings on all who've buried a child. And blessings on all who want to be parents someday. Blessings on all who are in tough family situations right now, God. Give them courage and hope. And no matter where we are, God, give us a fresh experience of grace and a renewed conviction that every single small step of faith we've ever taken was noticed. And so, God, I ask again, Pour out your grace on our families. In Jesus' name, amen.